Chapter Three of A Christmas Honeymoon by Francis Amar Matthews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. When the bride came home, Betty Revere and Peter Van Zant were married at Grace Church. It was admitted to have been the most beautiful wedding New York then had ever seen, with the most beautiful bride and the most gallant and proud bridegroom. Annie de Paster was maid of honor. There were eleven bridesmaids and twenty-two ushers. The company overflowed to the sidewalk, and the music was from the organ and an orchestra. And such music! No wedding marches, no voices breathing over Eden. Instead, waltzes, the gayest of the gay, all the tunes that were liked best in those far-off days. Il bacio, una pamolita, and the rest betty was of a mind to go off tripping to the measures her small feet loved the best and it was noted that she fairly danced up the aisle and certainly down it although keeping well in step with peter's steady tread why did she have twenty-two ushers and only eleven maids because laughed the bride every girl should have two cavaliers so that not either one of them might be too happy and so that she might choose and not be forced into boredom. Colonel Revere gave his daughter in marriage, sailing the next day for his post in France. When the merriment was at its highest, when the music was the sweetest, Peter and his wife stole down the rear staircase of the old St. Nicholas Hotel, where Betty and her father had been stopping, she wrapped in an army cloak and into a coach and off for boston and niagara before one grain of rice or a single slipper had been thrown at them by and by through a little hole in the walls of the garden of paradise these two slipped back into the double house on the corner of washington square peter darting up the stairs and unlocking the door himself then down again to catch her up and carry her in his arms up and into her own house welcome home sweet wife of my soul and up he carried her to her own rooms on the second floor with shadow busying himself with luggage in the vestibule with miss bridget supple gathering together satchels shawl straps and valise both exchanging glances shadow's somewhat sheepish and suggestive miss supple's arch yet forbidding as indeed had been the case between the two for lo these past many years when the trunks were all taken up and the light luggage too when supple had discovered that she was not wanted above and therefore had come down to assist shadow in looking over the table and seeing that everything was in exact form shadow was found standing thoughtfully leaning against the mantel corner twirling a ring around his large thumb miss bridget supple had seen that ring before several times she came into the dining-room drew the folding doors closer between the drawing-room drew the folding chairs arranged the curtains even advanced to the hearth and poked the logs a little lifted the bellows and began to puff them bridget exclaimed shadow no attention was paid miss supple continued to ply her bellows biddy miss supple vouchsafed a glance ah biddy darlin what's the use of waitin any longer won't you make it christmas eve 
miss supple from sheer force of long habit maybe shook her head yes you will shadow persisted isn't the youngster's master example a good one and if we keep on like this we'll soon be too old for it altogether never too old exclaimed miss supple maybe not with a doubtful emphasis but make it christmas eve at st joseph's won't you miss supple had parried these suggestions for many revolving years rising from the hearth she replied let's wait a bit shad wait a bit retorted the butler i've waited and waited and waited biddy what are we waiting for now to see how this the serving woman lifted her eyes to the room overhead turns out are you crazy turns out with the two of them clean wild for one another how could it turn out and even if it didn't what reason is that for you and me to be keepin from having our bands read shadow rearranged his forks with an undue clatter wait a bit reiterated miss supple adjusting her cap in the mirror in the pier it's not us that should be after leaving them two young things to themselves just at the start isn't it cried shadow irately of course we wouldn't be leaving for good and all but only for a fortnight's vacation like it wouldn't be right though mrs van zant'll be needin me shad and the young master can't get on without you can't he but i'm to get on without you biddy wished ain't i here in the same house with you mr shadow seemed to find assuagement in the eyes of miss supple who however promptly eliminated personal sentiment by asking how do you like the new mistress she's as fine as silk biddy that she is with eyes in her head like diamonds he worships her that he does and now go on shad them napkins is tumblin over and the similax wreaths are fallen from the chandelier shadow dissuaded thus from mere romance replaced the similax stood the plate warmer in front of the glowing fire and then vanished into his pantry the first dinner went off admirably many another with friends and relatives at the board annie de paster and ned davies of course fast following days when peter went down to his law office in nassau street when betty under biddy's cheerful guidance got inklings of the housekeeping she knew nothing at all of little surprises for peter when he came home toward five o'clock little bits of wifely comfortings as to warm slippers housecoats laid out and brushes at hand sometimes the coupe and poppet and peacock prancing in their new harness down broadway to nassau to fetch peter home sometimes to carry him downtown in the morning evenings at the opera the theatre quieter times at home in the library or rather in each library by turns for there were two of course it was an actual double house over which mrs van zant was called upon to preside on each floor merely the big archway connecting the two quite separate establishments and no communication at all in the garrets peter had when refurnishing the double house completely for his bride there were doors to be sure solid mahogany inches thick polished as glass now flung wide with curtains looped aside to frame them 
peter had taken the three keys tied them together and carried them up to the garret of the half of the house farthest from the square he hung them on a peg and said we will never want them but let them alone just for the sake of the governor who's gone on so it was after all the old physician's painstaking years of sequestration of his profession from his family now one big single house roamed over by the restless feet of betty van zant this very day she had been herself dusting peter's library they called the library in the washington square half peter's because there were none but law books there and betty for mischief had just put a couple of sentimental novels on the table and a copy of harper's and of godey's then she had frisked out into the garden such a delicious garden as it was with the high spiked iron fence matted with arbor vitae's all the year round with box-bordered paths all gravely beneath her slippered feet with a little fountain and deep shade of horse-chestnut and fruit-trees an arbor thatched with grapevines seats here and there and flowers all the sweet old-fashioned kinds in their seasons pansies and sweet alice lady slippers hollyhocks lilies of the valley marigolds dahlias bleeding hearts larkspur bluebells foxgloves fuchsias mexican sage snowballs lilacs in small formal beds marked out by box way up to the stable and carriage house betty had put on one of her prettiest frocks a black silk skirt and an overgown that i think they call a dolly varden a panniered ruffled fichued bit of daintiness with bunches of posies pink and green and violet on a creamy ground betty's hair in a wonderful waterfall with a beaded net confining somewhat its exuberant tendency to curl all over her pretty head had then frisked out into her garden to gather a posy for the table they were to dine alone that evening just betty and peter they had been married exactly three months and peter had said in a lordly way that he hoped no one would stop in around six-thirty a man wanted his wife to himself sometimes etc etc at all of which mistress betty had laughed joyously had there been such a thing in those days as a telephone she would promptly have put it into commission and had guests to tease her husband with as it was for she was a child full of whimsies conceits little rebellions getting away from the routine of things betty instead of being at the vestibule to greet peter on the third monthly reminder of her wedding day elected to sit demurely in the garden listening for the click of the night key in the latch End of chapter three